0: And we are so glad that you are here today. And I actually want to begin today by going back to last week. And I don't know how many of you were able to be here last week, but I want to, as uh, as one of the pastors here, I want to begin today by saying a huge thank you to our parking team last week. How many of you last week when you drove in saw our parking team out there standing in the rain under their umbrellas, cloaked with their uh, cloaked with their uh, their rain jackets on and their hat, just getting soaking wet. Just to be there to let people know as soon as you turn off 150 that we're really glad that you're with us. So for, from my heart to yours, parking team, thank you so much. You say, why is it so necessary to have a parking team? Because we want you to feel like you're at church the minute you turn off a 150 highway, not when you walk in the building. It's why we have the parking team and the greeters inside and outside. We want you to be able to get into the spirit of church quickly. Those of you who have young kids like me, you know that most of the time on the way to church, you're either yelling at your spouse or your kids, one or the other, the whole way here anyway. So it's nice to begin that spiritual journey about 30 seconds earlier by having a parking team meet you where you have to say, you know, okay, now kids be quiet. They're going to see us here real soon. And, you know, put the smile on your faces as you turn in. Now, those of you who don't know me well should know that before I decided to go into the ministry, uh, my plan for my life was to be a high school teacher uh, and a football coach. That's what I wanted to do. It's still a lot of days of the year. What I want to do is I was outside greeting people this morning. Uh, I thought, man, this feels like a fall Friday night. I wish I was somewhere out on, a, out on a football field with the smell of popcorn in the air. I mean, that's what really gets my heart beating. And as a school teacher, I wanted to be a history teacher. I love history. And in college, I studied history for three years before I decided to actually go into ministry And now that I've got a few ministry degrees and I've been through seminary, if I ever get a doctorate, I'll probably get a doctorate in church history because it fascinates me. I love history, but church history is, to me, one of the greatest subjects in the world. I think we've actually got a a doctor of church history in the house today who I see back there. So he's going to make me nervous as I try to review my facts because he knows probably more than all of us in the room will ever know combined on, on church history. But one of my favorite people in church history is a guy by the name of Martin Luther and i think you'll see his picture on the screen behind me you know if you ask who the real world changers in christianity have been certainly jesus is at the top of the list and the apostle paul is is a he's more of a 1a than a 2 i mean he's that important to christianity and the church but martin luther has to rank right up there with men who impacted the way the church is done today and if you haven't heard of martin luther martin luther is the man that started what we know as the reformation when the church was corrupt, and, and basically the, the great reformation of the church, without getting into all the theology of it, you know, about 500 or so years ago, you, didn't, you, you weren't able to have a personal relationship with God. It was impossible to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The only way you could do anything spiritually was if you went through the church. The church controlled everything. The church controlled whether or not you could be forgiven. The church controlled whether or not you could be a Christian. Really, the church ran your life, and you could not get to God unless you went through the church. There were no Bibles. People did not have their own Bibles. That didn't happen two years later when a man named Johannes Gutenberg invented his, his printing press, which we know is the Gutenberg Press. Only then did Bibles begin to, to be created. But 500 years ago, there was a generation of people who said this, and they were led by people like Johannes Gutenberg and Martin Luther. They were people who said, we don't just want to go to church. We don't just want a pastor to tell us what we should do. We don't just want to be engaged with God one day a week or in a building somewhere. We want to have a personal relationship with God. We want to be able to know God's Word for ourselves. We want to be able to develop spiritual understanding without having to go ask our priest or our pastor or our rabbi. We want to go further with God than the church will allow us. We need more than church. And out of that movement came a reformation, came all the denominations that we know now, came the the counter-reformation of the Catholic Church, where it really got cleaned up and began to lead people better spiritually. But 500 years ago, a, a group of people was willing to die to be able to do more than just go to church so they could develop a relationship with God. And here we are 500 years later, And the Bible is the greatest selling book in the history of the world. We all probably have many sitting in our house somewhere, or we've had some at one time or another, but we don't read it. We have all kinds of access to spiritual wisdom that we need, but we now live in a generation again who's the opposite of those 500 years ago. We're content to just go to church and have a preacher tell us what we should do. We're not really seeking spiritual wisdom on our own and trying to live for God every day of our lives. As we continue our study in the book of James today, I I want you to open to James chapter 1 if you have your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to be walking down the aisle. They're going to have Bibles that you can have if you forgot your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just wave at them. They'll give you a Bible so you can follow along. I want to encourage you if you get engaged at our church to bring your Bible every week. We will open it. We'll talk about it. We'll mark in it. we are underline it. We, every week, are going to open God's Word and study it. That's what we do at our church. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, bring it. If not, pick one up. We've bought hundreds to just give away to people so that everyone in our church has access to a Bible if they need one. And if you need access, you holler at one of our ushers and, and they'll give it to you. But we're in a study on the book of James called Rethink Church. And this study is called Rethink Church. We were at the Oktoberfest this weekend. Maybe some of you saw us at the Oktoberfest and we invited you there. and We're passing out flyers and giving kids candy and balloons. And a lot of people ask us what that meant. What does it mean? What does Rethink Church mean? Well, it means that maybe there's more to Christianity than just going to church. Maybe God expects more of us than to just sit in a pew or sit in a metal folding chair every now and then. Maybe there's more to Christianity than just going to church. Maybe we should rethink church in our life. Yes, we should go, but maybe there's more than church in what's going on spiritually. And we're studying the book of James because James is a book written to a group of people. I said this last week, I want to say it again. James is a pastor who's writing a letter to his church who will never come back to church. It's a short letter, only five chapters in our Bible, but he's writing a letter to the members of his church who will never come back to his church. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute. But the content of the book is, listen, I know you're not going to make it back to church. This is how you live for God without coming to church every weekend. And that's what we're teaching through for the next six weeks at our church. We're going to read through chapter 1, then we're going to talk about a few things in chapter 1 today. James chapter 1, verse 1. I'm in the New International Version today. If you're in a version close to it, just follow along. If you don't have a Bible at all, you can follow on the screen. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who's rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like the wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and it withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all He created. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man who looks but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he's heard but doing it he'll be blessed in what he does. Verse 26. Now if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If you have your Bible I want you to circle that word worthless. It's a pretty poignant thought from James. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts. I want you, if you have a a pen, and I know you do because we gave you one, circle that word, accept. This is what God thinks is cool about religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James, in his entire book, Gives us a great recipe for spiritual wisdom tells us how to live for god I don't want to say without ever going to church But shows us how to live for god the basics of everyday living without having to connect to a church every sunday morning But in james chapter one, he kind of lays out what will be the outline of his entire book And I want to give you a quick overview of james chapter one That'll highlight the rest of our series and then I want to dig specifically today into what james says about trials Temptations and tirades first we see in james chapter 1 that he tells us this about spiritual wisdom spiritual wisdom Understands that christians are supposed to help hurting people James throws it right out there in james 1 26 and 27 true religion That god accepts is helping hurting people That's why in november I won't preach on that today But in november our church has designed a campaign called I serve and in November we, we've been meeting with organizations all over the city, beginning in Lee Summit, downtown Kansas City. We've connected with uh with people in Joplin that still need help, and our goal is to mobilize our entire church in the month of November to go help hurting people. Why? Because the Bible says that's what Christians do. Christians don't just go sit in church. Christians that God likes go help hurting people. So in the month of November, you're going to hear all about why we serve, how we serve, what we serve. You'll hear even before today, you're going to see pictures of pastors in South Sudan that we've been supporting and helping do ministry. And and it just breaks your heart when you hear the stories of ministry that needs to be done in churches that some churches just don't care. So James tells us that when you have spiritual wisdom, you understand Christians are supposed to help hurting people. By the way, that little connection card we've given you, Here's why I know you get this this church this group of people gets this the most checked box on that connection card since July 10 With service July 10 August 7 a few preview services and then last week The most checked box of any box that we've ever had in any services is I want information on how to help hurting people Because people know they're supposed to do that And more than any other box people sitting in these chairs have said tell me how to help hurting people I want to do that and we're going to give you a chance to do that in November. Spiritual wisdom number four, I know I'm back on my way down, Five, four, three, two, one. Spiritual wisdom also understands how prayer works. Now, we think this is a given. I go to church, I'm a Christian, I know how to pray. Not so fast. Jesus' disciples who traveled around with Him, who watched Him minister, who did ministry with Him, one day asked Him this question, How do we pray? We see you pray, and we've seen others pray, but we don't know how to pray. You know, there are a lot of Christians who who don't know how to pray because they've never been taught. Jesus had to teach His disciples. So next week, again, I won't preach on this today, but next week we're going to teach people how to pray as Jesus taught His disciples how to pray. Number three, James says spiritual wisdom understands that true faith is seen by our actions. James will make this statement as we begin to study this text in a few weeks. He said, can you prove that you're a Christian without any actions? He said, because I can prove I'm a Christian, but it's my actions prove that. He said, show me your faith without deeds. I don't know that you can. I will show you my faith by what I do. So spiritual wisdom understands that that true Christianity is, is seen in the actions we have. True Christianity, number two, spiritual wisdom understands that patience is rewarded. You know, maybe the only message that you need to hear today sitting in church is these three words. Hang in there. Hang in there. I don't know what you're going through in life, but life is hard. Hang in there. We'll learn through the book of James that patience in tremendous trial is rewarded. But then we also learn in verses 1 through 21, spiritual wisdom teaches us about trials, about temptations, and about tirades, fits of anger in our life. And I want to talk to you about these real practical things that James talks to his church about in James chapter 1. In three facts today as we roll through this message. Fact number one. Here's what James wants you and I to understand about Christianity. He wants us to understand that trials in our life can actually bring us closer to God. James wants us to understand that the trials in our lives can actually bring us closer to God. Now, I want you on your little outline that I've given you, I want you to underline the word can. Because trials... It's not that they always do But they can sometimes trials drive us far away from god And we go through something that's so difficult We don't want to be around god or around godly people around church around christians at all But trials can if we allow them they can bring us closer to god Look at what james says in, in james 1 1 and 2 He says some interesting things that if you don't know the background of the book don't make a whole lot of sense He says james here's who he is describes himself as a servant of god and of jesus and then he said I'm writing this letter to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. If you have your Bible underline those words scattered among the nations. He says greetings, how you doing? Hey, it's James, and I'm writing a letter to all of those who have left their homes, left their families, left their country and have run away, run for your lives. How you doing? And he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, what trial was, were these people going through? Because obviously it was something. Well, the book tells us they'd all had to leave their homes, many of them, their families, many of them, their country. Why? Why? Well, if you read through the book of Acts, the the New Testament is aligned in the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and then the story of the birth of the church, the book of Acts, and then kind of a little in-depth view of all those churches as we get through the rest of the epistles and then Revelation, the great book on the end times. But in Acts chapter 7, we see that persecution breaks out against the church. Jesus has come, right? He's done ministry. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He's ascended into heaven the church has now begun and people are just radically coming to this new church that's all about jesus and the jewish hierarchy of the day hated it and they started persecuting the christians they didn't want them around because they felt their message was was anti-jewish because they were saying the messiah had indeed come and in acts chapter seven we see the first bit of persecution against the church there was a man named stephen who was forced to face capital punishment from the jewish leaders he was stoned which is you know that's you know, we, we have the electric chair, we have lethal injection. They had stoning. That was their form of capital punishment. And they killed Stephen simply because he was a Christian. And then a few chapters later in Acts chapter 12, we see that two of the three main 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John were the big three. James, not the James who wrote this book, but James, a disciple, and Peter were arrested. And James was killed. Killed him just for, for being a friend to Jesus. And the people got so excited about James being killed that Herod said, let's put Peter in prison and kill him too. It was like a festival to kill Christians, which then continued on through the Roman Empire hundreds of years later. And as Peter's in prison, there's this miraculous miraculous prayer meeting of Peter's release. But after Acts chapter 12, the church kind of had this statement. Well, if they're going to kill all the pastors, they're going to kill us too. We're out of here. And they all left. They left Jerusalem. They didn't go back to church. They had had enough. They were going to keep living for Jesus, but it wasn't going to be there. And James, you can picture James now. James shows up to church one Sunday, gets in his pulpit, and there's no one there. He says, "Where's everyone? where did everyone go? Well, they all ran away. Why? Because they're afraid for their lives. Because James is dead. Because Peter's in prison, and they think they're next. And James gets out his pen or his quill, dips it in the ink, starts writing on his papyrus, and he writes this letter, Hey, I I want you to know I missed you at church on Sunday. But you need to know all these trials you're facing, if you let them, they can bring you closer to God. So my question is, what trials are you facing in your life right now? You know, Jesus preached a a one-message sermon in John 16, 33 that's not preached much in church, but I think it should be because it's, it's very much the reality of even people who are trying to live for Jesus. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you're going to have trouble. You've got to jot this, at least this text down on your sermon notes that you have. In this world, you will have trouble. He said, now take heart, I've overcome the world. But Jesus is saying this. All right, I'm not going to give you the Greek on it. I'm going to give you the English on it. sometimes your life is going to stink. Like when you're going to church, and when you're tithing, and when you're serving, and when you love your wife, and when you love your kids, sometimes life is just going to stink. You're going to do everything right. You're going to get fired. You're going to do your very best and your marriage is still going to fail. You're going to watch your kids like a hawk and they're still going to go off the deep end spiritually. Life is hard. You know, I'm, I met one of, the, one of our young families who's here today who uh, one of our wives and her husbands was supposed to, to serve together this morning. She came without him and I said, hey, where's your husband? And he's a, he's a detective in Overland Park. She got called at 4 a.m. for a homicide in Overland Park that he, that he had to go do him. She said that's on the heels of us hearing yesterday afternoon that his his grandmother died Jesus said in this world sometimes life will stink. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just living life But this has been a tough 24 hours You know, I told you last week on friday I I did the funeral of a 24 year old mother and her four-month-old daughter who were strangled last week in olathe And I stood next to a casket that held a mother with her baby in her arms gripping her thumb I tried not to cry during the whole funeral Because some man lost his mind and killed them both last week. They didn't do anything wrong. You see, in this world, you'll have trouble. In this world, sometimes life just stinks. Tragedy happens. The economy happens. Consequences happens. Mistakes happens. And you know, we live in a church world that likes to tell people, live for Jesus, give your money, do this, this, and this, and everything will be great. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said sometimes life will stink. Sometimes you're going to have tremendous trials. But he said, I can help you in those. And that's what James is saying. I understand your life has been turned upside down. Like you're running scared for your life. I get that. But, but, if you use this the right way, it can draw you closer to God. You know, Abraham was once on the run from his family. But in isolation, he, he grew closer to God. Moses one time was on the run for his life because he had killed a guy and they wanted to kill him. And in his isolation... He, he found a closer relationship with God out in a burning bush in the desert one time. Elijah was once on the run from his life. These are, if you're brand new to church, these are three Old Testament guys that are really important in the Bible. And one day after a great day of ministry, Elijah was on the run from his life. And in isolation, he grew closer to God. And sometimes trials can send us just off the deep end spiritually. But sometimes they can spend, send us to a place of isolation where if we'll just stop and realize... We realize we feel alone, but God is right there with us You know, I was reading this week in Just my daily time in in my bible and I was reading through the book of isaiah and in isaiah 41 I think it's verse 10. It might be isaiah 42 verse 10 God speaks to israel and he tells israel. I birthed you And I walk with you and I love you and he gives the picture He said i'm there to hold your hand during the tough times you know, this week I was at the, the Oktoberfest with my kids. My kids are 10 and 7. My little girl will be 8 in about a month. And, you know, there, there were some people who had a little more fest than October at the Oktoberfest. You know, if you know what I mean, they, they were having a, a good time with their German vlogger, you know, walking around. And at one point we were walking, it was so crowded and... You know, it was, it, it was a bit out of control and i'm walking and my daughter is right beside me And my hand's there and just out of nowhere. We didn't meet eyes. She didn't look up She didn't talk to me, but she reached up and grabbed my hand Just to know that I was there and of course my hand is always there when i'm with her And I just held her tight and let her know dad's right here That's the picture of isaiah 41:10. God said I am always right there. Listen when you're scared Just reach up Dad's hand is right there When you feel alone just reach up Dad's hand is right there When everyone around you seems like they've had too much to drink at Oktoberfest, and you're really scared they just reach up, dad's hand is right there. And see, trials, when we feel like we're all alone, we are this far from connecting with God and and walking safely through a situation that maybe scares us to death. Life is hard. It's filled with trials. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 12, when he was talking to a group of religious people about trying to reach people who were struggling in life. Jesus said, listen, it's, it's sick people who need a hospital. Not those who are healthy. Jesus said, I have come to reach people who are hurting. I've come to reach people who are going through trials. I've come to help, not the person whose life appears to be perfect, but the person who's struggling. I've come to help them get through life. Jesus said, sick people, sick people need a church. Now this week I had a chance to go to the, the hospital. John, who runs our tech crew back there, had a, a beautiful little baby boy. His wife had the baby boy. He was just there. He, he didn't do anything, I don't think. Um, but his wife had a baby boy on Monday, and Danielle and I went up Tuesday to see the baby. And I don't do well with hospitals. You know, of all the things I, I might do okay in ministry, the thing I do very poorly is, is visit hospitals because I'm afraid of needles, and I get freaked out around... Medical equipment and many many times i'll go to visit someone in the hospital and i'll end up in a hospital bed beside them That's no lie. I I had a girl in my youth group one time who got in a really bad accident. It's not funny I don't know why i'm laughing she survived so I guess I can tell it now Got in a really bad accident one day out in front of blue valley northwest high school Several years back and they called me to the hospital early in the morning had to go downtown to st. Luke's And she was in icu and by the time I got there they had put her back together But I mean they just had needles and stuff just You know ivs running everywhere into this girl and her mom said, "Come, you know, come on up. We want you to pray over the bed." And I'm thinking, "Oh, you don't, you don't want me to do this? Can I just, can I call? Can I stay in the hallway?" No, you need to come in and pray over. So I'm standing over her bed. And she's here in front of me, and her mom's given me the, I mean, just the play-by-play of what has happened during this accident. Her leg was this way, and her head was smashed, and this and that. And and I'm beginning. The room is beginning to spin. And right as I was telling her mom I needed to sit down, I felt myself falling. And I grabbed whatever was near, which happened to be the IV pole, which was connected to this girl. And I fall and about unplug everything that is connected to this dear girl who's lying in limbo. And I wake up, and I'm on the floor. And here's this girl in ICU, right, I mean, who has almost died that morning. And all her doctors and nurses are around me on the floor, making sure that I'm I'm okay. I did the same thing when Danielle got her wisdom teeth out. They asked me, you know, asked me, do you want to go back in the recovery rooms? I, you know, I don't think so. No, she, you know, do not you go back in the recovery room so you, you're there when she wakes up? But, All right, you know, how how bad can it be? No tubes, no needles, no nothing. So I go back and you know, I'm sitting beside Danielle, and you, you know, you can just smell the medical stuff. I don't know what it is, but it has a smell that just like brings me to my knees, right? So I'm sitting there, and she's got like this gauze in her mouth, and there's like blood dripping from her mouth. She's out, and I'm thinking. Oh, Lord, I'm going to pass out. So I "You nurse, nurse. So next thing you know, bang, I'm on the floor. And Danielle tells me later, she like five minutes later, she came to and she was all by herself because everyone was around my bed trying to make sure that, that I was okay. So I don't do well in hospital. So Danielle, we walk into the hospital and I had to wait for like five minutes for Danielle to get there. And I thought, you know, I'm not going in the hospital by myself. I'll wait outside. So I waited outside on the bench and I, I just sat there and I actually got in and out of the hospital without instance almost i got in a a helicopter i got in an elevator Uh, after after we had had seen the uh, the baby we were getting ready to leave and we punched the elevator button and i'm thinking you know i made it through i'm going to get in and out without passing out everything's good and the elevator you know ding opens on the third floor and there are there's a there's a bed like propped up so i can't see what's in the bed and there's like two guys that have t-shirts on that say fire like fire and rescue and then and there's a nurse there you know, ding! It opened up, and I stepped back and said, "We'll take the next one." And they goes, no, come on in. There's your room." Like, oh no! So I get in. Daniel slides in. I slide in, and and there's a, I mean a a an extremely elderly lady in in this bed, and I don't know how old she was, but if you saw the movie, if 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 you saw the movie Titanic, you, like you remember that old lady, she looked like her grandmother. I mean, she was really. She's really old. I don't know if she was sick or just old. But she was really... And, and I was crammed like so tight in the other I was like eight inches from her face. face we were face to face. She had all these tubes in her and they had an IV. And I'm just thinking, of you know, two floors. So I'm like closing my eyes and just, you know, help me. And every now and then I'm peeking. Yeah, cause I couldn't tell if she was breathing or not breathing. I thought, is she alive? Is she dead? What's the deal? Like halfway through, she just lets out. I just, ah, like, like breeze right in my face. I'm like, oh, Lord, Danielle, help. Let me out. You know and the doors open. It's like ding. I mean, it was like the greatest ding i've ever heard in my life And I rushed for air outside thought thank the lord. I mean, you know, I I do not like hospitals But I sat and I watched the people going in and out of the hospital And you know, there's more than sick people in a hospital I watched people coming in. I thought there are a lot of sick people coming in the hospital But there are a lot of healthy people coming in a hospital with them to support them To be there for them and there are a lot of medical experts coming in to serve them and to help them. And I thought, you know, this is the picture of a church. A church looks like this. A church should be three parts people who are hurting and really need help and people who are just there to support and help them walk through this and people who are there to serve them. And, you know, if if, if your church isn't reaching hurting people, you're not reaching the crowd that Jesus went after. If you don't have anyone going through a trial, we you know we're probably... I wonder if we could even be considered a church Because in there in this room there should be people who are struggling today But there should be people sitting right beside them who are going to help them through that struggle And then there should be people who are there to serve them and say we're we're going to watch We're not we're not going to let go of you until you're healthy enough to live on your own again Trials can bring us closer to god trials are intended to bring us closer to god If we will let them trials aren't intended to kill us They're meant to bring us closer to God. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about his trials. He said, man, my trials are hard, but they're not intended to kill me. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but I've never been abandoned. Struck down, but I've never been destroyed. Life is hard, but it's always made me better spiritually if I've relied on God. Picture that little kid walking through the carnival when you're walking through your dark moments. Reach up. God is right there. His his hand is always at your side. Just reach up and grab onto Him. He will be there for you, I promise you. Fact number two. James says that trials can bring us closer to God, but then he tells us temptations can actually take us further away from God if we don't recognize them and deal with them in our lives. Say, where is that? James chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15. James says, when tempted, No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation can take you further from God. Now here's a question I want to ask that I don't want you to answer except for inside your own heart. What temptations do you deal with or struggle with? or have in your life because everyone has some if you don't then you don't realize it but your big temptation is is pride because you you know you're saying you're at a place spiritually where where the bible says you can't be we're all tempted in many ways the bible says but james says temptation if left unchecked can lead us to sin and sin man can kill us spiritually you know, Webster's Dictionary defines the word temptation as to entice to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or of gain. To, promise, uh, to entice somebody to do something wrong by the promise of pleasure or of gain. Those of you who are older than 20 may remember in 2001, Fox came out with a sitcom called Temptation Island, a reality show. Where, you know, Marky Mark, if you remember Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch guy hosted it. And they took these married couples and they put them on an island that was inhabited by, like, the craziest single men and women alive. And they wanted to see if if they would cheat on their spouses. Let's put them all on an island and see if they could make it. You know the crazy thing about that show? We don't need an island to be tempted. Because the truth is we all work at temptation, you know, workplace and we live in temptation neighborhood. And we all have a temptation computer. And, and we all have temptation friends and temptation couples. And we live in a world that, that, is, that is screaming at us to do the wrong thing with the promise that maybe, just maybe, you can get some kind of extreme pleasure through this. That's so what Jesus said in 1 John 2.16. You don't need to go to an island to be tempted. John said, I'm sorry, John said in 1 John 2.16, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world. So if we go back to that famous biblical passage in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we see the creation and then the fall of Adam and Eve, we see this lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. I see something and I want it. Lust of the eyes. You know, I've got my eyes on this person. I've got my eyes on this thing. I've got my eyes on this type of life for myself. And man, even if I have to cheat and beg bar and steal to get there, I just really want this for my life. I see something. Remember what Eve said to her husband Adam? I saw that fruit. Man, it looked good. I saw it and there was like such promise that maybe it would taste better than anything that I'd ever eaten. Blessed are the eyes. My eyes see something and I want it. You might remember for those of you who, who know a little bit about the Bible in the book of Joshua, the first great victory that the Israelites had over Canaan when they went in and took Canaan. Was it a city called Jericho? And, and God said, everything in Jericho is mine. It's not yours. It's mine. And there was a guy in the Israelite army named Achan who stole some stuff, and his family ended up dying because of it. But they asked him, why, why did you take that stuff? You knew you weren't supposed to take stuff. He said, man, I saw it, and I wanted it. Lust of the eyes. I see something, and man, I really want it. Lust of the flesh. What's lust of the flesh? Things that we know will make us feel good. Things that we know will bring pleasure to our senses. When we're in high school, we we talk about all these pleasurable techniques, probably sex and drugs and alcohol. But as adults, we all deal with, I mean, we still deal with the exact same things, temptations that promise extreme pleasure but result in sin and spiritual death, death to our marriage. Death to our jobs, death to our integrity at the end of it. And then pride of life. What is pride of life? Pride of life is, you know, this is what I want to be known for. This is what I have. This is what I want to achieve. You know, I look at the, the pride of life and I think our nation's debt crisis and the personal debt crisis in our world speaks to this pride of life. I want something. i got to have it. I'm going to get it even if I can't afford it. I'm going to get it because I want it. And I want to have it. I want to live life this way. And I, and I want these things. And now America, America's is asking the question on the debt ceiling. Here's the question. Like have we borrowed too much money that we're never going to be able to pay it back ever? And you know what? A lot of Americans are asking that same question in their own household. Have we borrowed so much money that we're never going to be able to pay it? Pride of life. I wanted something. I was enticed by the pleasure. I went and got it. I, I didn't care the risk that it, that it gave me. So James says temptation can pull you away from God Now rick warren in his book purpose driven life had had a real interesting take on temptation that i've never heard before He said temptation can actually bring you closer to god Because like a diet for the first when you're on a diet and the first time you say no to that food You really love hopefully the second time third time fourth time it gets a little easier He said every time a christian will say no to temptation They take a step forward spiritually In becoming who god wants them to be so when you face temptation Remember, James says, listen, temptation is not a sin. Being tempted, there's nothing wrong with being tempted. Everyone is tempted. It's what you do with the temptation. If you say no to it, you're going to grow spiritually. But if you say yes to it, it's a really dangerous, slippery slope. So the question you need to answer today is what are you tempted by? Do you recognize? Can you identify the temptations in your life? Can you identify where they come from? Who they come from? When they come to you? And have you identified a way to to get out of them yet? You know, if not, I would encourage you. Our church is is here to help you talk to someone. We'll read later on in James chapter 5. James says, if anyone needs anything, man, they should go talk to someone in the church. They can pray for them, they can help them. You see, when Christians gather together and talk to each other, it's good for them spiritually. You know where I'm going this week? I have an appointment this week to go see my counselor. So you're a pastor you have a counselor why because i'm messed up just like everyone else's I am not perfect because i'm a pastor If you're looking for a pastor who will give you sermons on this is how I raise my kids You should raise your kids the same way. You don't want that sermon I have wonderful kids, but i'll tell you how jesus says to raise your kids But I will not tell you how I raise my kids. I'm not a pastor. who will tell you i've got a perfect marriage I have so far to go in my marriage And you know what? The stress and anxiety and emotion and distress and sometimes discouragement and depression of trying to start a church from scratch, sometimes I need someone to talk to. So I go talk to somebody. And you know, I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do. If you're struggling with a temptation you can't overcome on your own, you need to talk to somebody. Because when that happens, life gets better. And you grow closer to God than you are now. So James says you need to understand trials... You, you think they're hurting you they could actually bring you closer to god temptation can take you further from god But then he says something interesting in james chapter 1 He said tirades Spiritual wisdom understands that tirades fits of anger They don't ever make us look anything like god And you know you would think that the guy writing the very first book of the new testament And we discussed this last week the new testament isn't in order. Matthew wasn't the first book written And then mark and then luke and then john scholars think the very first book of the new testament ever written was james so here's james in james chapter one and i want to remind you james now is living under the roman empire all right the romans are more freaked out in the way they live than americans will ever be i mean there was a lot of sins james could have said this one is really bad and what does he point to he said you need to know that when you let your anger get the best of you you don't look anything like god and I find it so interesting that he puts this up front in his book, James 1.20, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not make us look like God. You all know we live in an angry world, right? I mean, I don't know why people are so angry, but they are. I passed a lady the other day on her bicycle. Apparently, I, I got too close to her or was going too fast or something. And she either only has one finger and was waving at me, or she was flipping me off as I went by. I mean, just, you know, like, what, you know, whatever. Thank you. And I thought, man, why are you so angry? Yesterday, t- last week on Tuesday, Danielle and I were coming out of Panera, and we were at a three-way stop sign. There was a stop sign here, stop sign here, a stop sign here. Three cars got there at the same time. And like, out at of a, at a courtesy, like, no one knew who was going to go first. So it was kind of, you know, one nudge, another nudge, another nudge. And one of the ladies just slammed on her horns and threw up her hands like we were all idiots. And it was like, okay, well, you go since you're so angry. I mean, Mike, should I put it in reverse? Why are you so mad? You know, I would have to think that if somebody came here from another planet and landed like in New York City or Chicago or a city where there are a bunch of taxi cabs, one of the questions that they would ask is, why is everyone so angry? Why is everyone in such a hurry? What, what, you know? Why is everyone so impatient here? James says, "Be slow to speak. Be slow, slow down, and stop being so angry all the time, dads. Some of you dads need to quit yelling at your kids and your wives. You need to stop." Because when you get angry, you never look like God wants you to look, according to James one twenty. Human anger never looks like Christianity. Just slow down. Man, I was in a McDonald's the other day, and there was a lady who got pickles on her cheeseburger that she didn't order pickles on. What she didn't know is they probably actually made that cheeseburger in 2008, and the pickles had been on it since then, and it had just been in a freezer somewhere. Man, she was just going nuts on this like 16-year-old kid at the register who you know who's just like, can I like? Can I get you a new one? I'm sorry, it's pickles. And I thought, what is wrong with her? let I'll buy you another cheeseburger. It's 79 cents. Calm down. James says anger, and you know what? That that lady may have been the greatest Christian in the world, but she didn't look like it right then. You see, anger never makes you look like a Christian. So, dads, pull it down a notch in your house, man. Moms. Wives listen, I don't tell moms and wives what to do because they're going to yell at me So you all just keep doing whatever you want to do, right? Don't get angry at me. I've, I've you know, I got nothing to say seriously moms Slow down Have you ever followed a mother and her young children through the grocery store? Maybe the greatest christians in the world angry people Don't look like great christians And I find I mean james can talk about anything, Right one of the first things he wants to address is anger, tirades. You see, when you get in a fit of rage, you don't look like a Christian. Bosses, quit treating your employees like garbage when you're mad. It's not the Christian thing to do. Employees, quit talking so negatively about your bosses behind their backs when you're angry. God's not glorified when you do that. Co-workers quit quit hating on your co-workers and for god's sake quit sending mean emails Isn't it funny how big and bold everyone can become when they're sending emails rather than actually talking to someone Man, I think if james could write this book today He would say human anger and mean emails never make you look like a christian Text message twitter tell somebody off in the internet world Talk somebody talk about somebody on facebook just stop the Bible says that we don't look like Christians when we do that. As a matter of fact, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. It's really interesting what the Bible has to say about how anger doesn't make us look like God. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two: An angry person stirs up conflict. A hot tempered person commits many sins. Calm down. Ecclesiastes five six: Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Don't let your fingers through email lead you into sin. Don't let your thumbs through text messaging lead you into sin. Ephesians 4.26, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Romans 12.18, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. You know what Jesus said? Turn the other cheek. You don't have to react. You don't have to respond. Just delete the email instead of, instead of replying to it. Walk away instead of getting in another cut. Let somebody cut you off in traffic and wave at them with all your fingers, you know, and, and instead of one. Look like Jesus. If they put pickles on your sandwich, pick them off or go ask for a new one. Look like Jesus. If, you, if, you, if your kids are driving you crazy, you know, spare the rod. You hate your kids. You can discipline them, but just, you know, don't, don't let your house run at like a decibel level of 95 because that never looks like what Christianity is supposed to look like, according to James. I Man, James is going to tell us a lot. He's going to tell us a lot about serving, a lot about having Christian actions, a lot about being in God's Word, a lot about how to live our life. But he tells us today about trials. Let your trials bring you closer to God. He tells us today about temptation. Don't let your temptation separate you from God. And he tells us about tirades, and he basically says, just stop those. Just stop those so you can look more like God. Now the first thing anyone needs to understand spiritually is that god loves you and if you've never begun your spiritual journey Your first step today is not to worry about your trial your temptation or your tirades. It's today to recognize that god loved you That his son died for you And we talk about living at peace with everyone. Let me ask you a question. Are you at peace with god right now this moment? If your life were to end today Do you know that tomorrow you'd wake up in heaven because you live at peace with god? Because the Bible says you can know that and you can have that peace. You say, how? You just commit your life to Him. You ask Him to forgive you of your sins that have transgressed who He is and what He does. And you ask Him to come into your life and give you eternity. If you've never done that, you should do that today. It will begin to transform your life. And it would be my honor to pray with you today. So can we all just bow our heads and close our eyes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. This morning... And the first step of your spiritual journey, if you've never taken step one, is to become a Christian. And if you've never done that, I want to pray with you right now. If you're in this room and you don't know that if today were your last day on planet Earth, if tomorrow would be your first day in heaven because you're not living at peace with God right now, then we can solve that in this this instant. And you can just pray a, a simple prayer after me. And if you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says God hears it. And He will forgive Begin to change and rescue you forever. His hand is within reach of you today. So just reach up. Today, you want to become a Christian and be at peace with God. Pray this prayer with me. I'm going to say a few words. You can repeat them. You don't even have to repeat them out loud. Just repeat them in your heart. And today, you can become a Christian. Dear God, I want to be at peace with you. I want my sins forgiven i love to see my life change for the better. And I want you to help me follow you. Become a great Christian. So God, I ask today that you would forgive me. That you would clean me from the inside out. That you would begin to change me. So that I could live for you. And one day live forever with you in heaven. Today I accept that Jesus... Lived for me, died for me, rose from the dead for me, and wants me to live with him forever. I accept that by faith. Save me today. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, if you're in this room with nobody looking around, would you just slip your hand up if you just prayed that prayer? A Christian today, I prayed that prayer and became a Christian. Would you just slip your hand up all over this room so that I can know it today? Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm going to ask a blanket question that covers three areas Maybe today you've been going through some trials and you need god to help you Maybe this week you've been facing some temptations that to be honest You have struggled with and you just keep being moved further and further away from god Maybe you struggle with fits of anger tirades and you just you need god today to either work in an area of trial in an area of temptation or In an area of of maybe just a raised anger level in your home if that's you Would you just right where you are in your seats? Just pray right now again. You don't have to pray right loud, but just Pray out loud But just talk to god As if as if he's right here because he is and let god know what you need god. I need your help in this God, I pray you will help me to stop doing this God, I pray you'll help me to get over my fits of anger Just pray right now where you are for what you need And God, as a people today, we just pray you'll make us more like you. Lord, I want to be a generation like Martin Luther's generation, like Gutenberg's generation, that is not satisfied with just going to church because we want to know you more than that. We want to have a real relationship with you on our own. We want to be able to develop spiritual wisdom without always having to go through someone else. So Lord, help me to do that in my own life. Lord, help me in in my own trials that I'm facing right now. What some of them that just lead me to just days of being discouraged. Help me with those trials. Lord, help me with my temptations. You know what I struggle with, and so do I. I pray you'll remove those from my life so that I won't be removed from you. And then, Lord, I pray that you'll help me not to be a person of anger because I never don't want to look like you. And just help me to slow down, to calm down. And, Lord, to in every situation, give somebody a, a reason to think more of you Because of my actions and my reactions. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everybody said, Amen. Now I'm going to ask everyone right now, before we pass our offering buckets in just a minute, to reach for this connection card.